really excited to be with you here uh, this morning. Matt and I have been friends since, since high school. I've got a lot of dirt on him, but he has even more dirt on me, and he'll have the microphone last, so we'll just leave it at that. Uh, you should, uh, you'll see some of these kind of around the church. This is a little bit more information about the church that we're starting up, Intrepid Christian Church. Kind of a weird name for a church, Intrepid, uh, but, but really it, it comes from this idea that we should have a life free from fear. Because of God's love. God loves us so much that we can, we can draw near to him and he casts out all fear in our lives and we don't need to worry about judgment because Jesus paid the price for us. So there's more information on this card about the church. Um, up here is a picture of my, my wife and, and my two kids. My wife's name is Christy and it's my son JJ. He's, he's five and my daughter Jovi, she's three. They keep us super busy. Uh, we, we took them around to some uh, baseball stadiums while we were in the Midwest and it's been a blast. Um, Christy, she, she grew up in the church, but uh, there was a lot of religion and not a lot of Jesus. And when she was in college, she came to a place where her faith became her own, and she, she understood what Jesus did for her on the cross, and, and, and her, her faith really came alive. And, and we're trying to raise our kids so they know that it's, it's more than just about being a part of a church or, or doing rites and rituals. That it's really this life of adventure that Jesus has called us into, where we're loving God in every part of our life, we're loving our neighbors, desiring, pursuing the very best for our neighbors, even when it costs us something. And we're living this adventure and following the things that Jesus told us to do. And that's what we're trying to do as a church. That's why we're trying to do as a family. Now, a, a few years ago, uh, I lost my son. And it was a terrifying thing, losing my, losing my son. We, we were down in Anaheim visiting uh, family, and we went to Disneyland. And uh, when you go to Disneyland with kids, you got to go and find Mickey Mouse and get a picture with Mickey Mouse. So we went to Toontown, and we went into Disney's, or into uh, Mickey's house, and, and we're walking through. And, and uh, you know, they have these little baby Bjorns that are supposed to make it easier to carry around a kid. And, and, and Jovi, we were trying to load her into that, but it tr- truly was a two-person job. And if you ever get a chance to get to know my daughter, you would understand why it was a two-person job. She's pretty active. And so I'm trying to help my wife get Jovi secured in this little baby Bjorn thing. We look down and JJ's gone. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm worried because there's lots of people around. And my wife goes forward in the line to see, you know, maybe he ran ahead. And I go back to the beginning of the little Mickey's Funhouse thing. And I'm walking through and I'm looking for my son. And maybe you've never lost a child before. And you're a way more responsible parent than I am. But when you lose your kid, you start to have some crazy thoughts. So like I'm thinking, you know, yeah, we turn our back for a second and, and some creep like snatched my son and now like I'm gonna, I'm gonna end up on the news and I'm gonna be that guy that lost his kid at Disneyland. And then I started thinking, you just crazy thoughts, like walking through going, well, my kid's cute, so Disney probably snatched him and they're like, they're like brainwashing him and all of a sudden I'm gonna be, you know, missing my son and see him on the Disney Channel overacting. And, and, um, <laughs> and so, I, you know, I'm thinking all these things and I'm going and, and uh, lo and behold, I find him at the beginning of, of Mickey's house. He's sitting in one of those plastic chairs that look comfortable but really aren't, and he's sitting there, and he has no idea he's lost. No idea that, that, that I was panicked. No idea that, that his, his mom was worried, and, and we were looking around. No idea that, that just the thought of living life without being able to see his face would break our heart. He had no idea he was lost. He was just distracted by all the shiny things there to entertain him. Sometimes people are lost, and they have no idea. No idea at all. I was lost. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I was lost. I had no idea that there was a God who loved me and and desired to have a relationship with me. 
See, my dad, he was raised Catholic and my mom was raised Mormon, but neither one of, those, neither one of them practiced any sort of religion. Uh, every once in a while, we would go to a Lutheran church uh, when, uh, when I was in preschool because that's where my preschool was. But I grew up not knowing Jesus, not knowing about God's love. If someone were to ask me in elementary school if I was a Christian, I would say, well, yeah, of course. I'm white. I'm American. And my family's Republican. What else would I be? <laughs> like, I thought, I thought that's what it was. But I was absolutely lost. It wasn't until high school that a couple of friends continued to invite me to church. One of those friends is your pastor, Matt. Matt reached out to me and invited me over and over and over again to all sorts of church events. I came up with every lame excuse in the book as to why I wasn't going to go. One of his best friends, a guy named Jeff, he invited me over and over and over to church. Now, they didn't know they were both inviting the same person. Matt and I were in Spanish class together, and in Spanish class, my name was Felipe, because the teacher thought Felipe Floyd sounded funny. So he thought my name was Philip, which makes a whole lot more sense than Felipe Floyd. Um, and my friend Jeff, he was on the football team with me. Neither one of us played. Um, and and uh, he just knew me by my last name, Floyd. So they had no idea they were inviting the same guy to church until one day, outside of the guy's locker room, I'm talking to Matt, and Jeff walks up, and they're like, you know each other? And, and they put uh, two and two together, and then they started to double-team me and invite me to church. And I didn't go. I didn't go until I hung out with them first. They invited me to hang out on a Friday night. We went to Cal State Fullerton and went bowling at this university. They had a, a student union that had a bowling alley. We went, and we went bowling, and we, we hung out. And then the next day, we hung out. And I think uh, I stayed the night at one of their houses, and that's how they got me to church because I was stuck. Like, I had no choice. I had to go with them. And when I was there, I encountered something totally different, something that I had never experienced in my life, love, unconditional love. I, I, I bounced around a lot in life. Both my parents passed away when I was younger. And, and every place that I lived, the people that took care of me were interested in the social security check I came with. And here I was sitting in this church, hearing about a God who loved me unconditionally, meeting adults that cared about me. And honestly, I kept coming back for two reasons. One, there were cute girls there, and I was a high school boy. Uh, two, um, because there were these adults there that seemed to care about me, and I wanted to know what their angle was. What, what do they want from me? The only thing they wanted from me was for me to know that I was loved. I was loved by God, that I was created to live in relationship with him. See, what Matt and Jeff were doing was they were being evangelists. Now, I know uh, the word evangelist can conjure up all sorts of ideas. You know, when I think of evangelism or evangelists, oftentimes I think of sweaty guys on TV asking for money. Um, or I, I think of people who come and knock on the door and interrupt you in the middle of dinner. Um, or or I, I, I think about the people that, that as you're at a fair or something, you're walking by and they stop and you go, if you were to die today, where would you end up? But that's not what evangelism is. Evangelism is simply sharing good news with someone else. That's all evangelism is. You're sharing good news. You heard about good news, you're sharing it with somebody else. Every single person in this room, you're an evangelist for something. I have friends that are evangelists for Apple. Anytime Apple is going to come out with something new, they're telling me about it, they're, they're tweeting about it, they're, they're posting stuff on Facebook, they're telling everybody about what Apple's going to do next. Matt, Matt is an evangelist for restaurants. I found this up this morning. He was telling me about all these different great places to eat in Washington. Next to evangelists for Jesus, evangelists for restaurants, 
They're my favorite because usually they take you there and you eat good food, and, 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 and that's, that's great. We're evangelists for our kids. I don't know about, uh, about you, but me, like, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly kind of putting pictures of my kids because they're adorable up on, on Instagram and Facebook and talking about things. I remember, honestly, I, I told First Service this. Uh, one time I tweeted about my son pooping. Like, I mean, we, we just brag about our kids. We're so excited about any time they do anything. We're sharing good news. So we're all evangelists for something. The other thing that we all have in common is we're all searching. We're all searching for purpose in life. We're all searching to be whole, to be complete. We're all looking for something to make it feel like this life is something worth living. And oftentimes we're looking to to everything and anything. And we do this sometimes out of selfishness. See, we're all selfish. We're all broken. The Bible has a word for that. It's called sin. Sin means to miss the mark, to miss the point of life. You and I were created not to live for ourselves, but to live for others. Jesus said we, we're, we're supposed to love God in every part of our life and love our neighbor as ourself. When we're living for ourselves, we're not doing either one of those things. We're missing the point of life. We're sinning. And so we, 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 we're all selfish. We're all broken. But the good news that we have is that God loves us anyway. God loves us even though we're selfish, even though we're self-centered, even though we, we've, we've got sin in our life that, that breaks our relationship with other people, even though we do things that, that move us away from God instead of closer to him. The good news is God loves us even though we're lost and distracted by all the shiny things around us meant to entertain us. Sometimes we wander from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. We might wander and, 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 and buy something new. But the problem with, with trying to find content, contentment with buying new stuff is new stuff becomes old stuff really quick and, and we're not satisfied with it anymore. Sometimes we move from one relationship to the next relationship to the next relationship looking for someone to make us feel whole and when they fail to do that, we move on to the next. But we break ourselves along the way and we break other people along the way. See, God loves us even though We've got this sin, even though we've got this brokenness. And Jesus came to make a way for us to be restored with God. See, church, that's why we're here. That's what our mission is. Our mission is to continue the mission that Jesus began, to show God's love to everyone, to draw everybody back to God. See, what we're supposed to be doing is helping God's lost kids come back home to their heavenly father. It's what God's heart is. Jesus, one time, he, he, he accepted a dinner invitation to this, this uh, tax collector named Zacchaeus. We, he accepted this dinner invitation, and upon accepting that invitation to go and dine at Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus repented. He had a change of mind. He said, I'm not going to swindle people anymore. I'm going to give away half of what I've got. I'm going I'm I'm to turn my life over. And upon hearing that, Jesus said that that's why he came. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he said, For the Son of Man, a title used for Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. That's why Jesus came. It's great to sing songs. The songs that we sing, that's not why Jesus came. It's great to gather together and encourage each other. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus shows us God's heart. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 5, it says, The Son, so Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
One day, Jesus was asked by one of his followers, Philip, uh, to, to, if Jesus would show them God the Father. And, and what he told Philip was, to see me is to see the Father. He said, believe me when I say to you, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of these works. Believe in what you have saw. Philip, you've been following me around for years. You've seen the things that I've taught. You've seen how I live. You've seen the miracles that I've worked. I am God. So to see Jesus is to see God's heart. And if you go through and you read the Gospels, the book that talk about Jesus' life and ministry and his death, burial, and resurrection, you can see God's heart. It's for those who don't know him, for his lost children, desiring for them to come home. That's why my wife and I and our kids and these other families are doing something crazy. We left a church where everything was going great. Church was growing. We were making an impact in the community. Um, everything was going great. But we left a church, we left a house that, that, that we love, that have so many memories in it, and we moved to another community to reach people who don't know Jesus. In Gig Harbor, 80% of the people that live on the Gig Harbor Peninsula have z- see zero value in any sort of Sunday morning worship gathering. Zero value. Uh, and, and, and of the 20% that do see some value in it, some uh, subscribe to different, uh, d- different belief systems, there are some that uh, uh, attend church occasionally. They might show up around Christmas or Easter. Only about 9 to 11% of those who are there are actively a part of a church. And actively means they're there once a month at least. So we're going to this place to start a church for people who have no interest. They don't see, an inter- they don't see value in, in what the church has to offer. They don't want God in their life. Why would we do that? I mean, that's absolutely crazy. If somebody's going to go and start anything, if somebody's going to start a business, they don't start a business to, to, to target customers that want nothing to do with their business. They go to a place where people want to hear or, 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 or have the goods and services that this business is offering. This, this, uh, this pastor and author, a guy named Vince Antonucci, he said that what we're trying to do, it's like starting a steakhouse for people who are in PETA. I mean, that's what we're doing. We're, we're going in, we're moving to this community for people who have no interest in Jesus, no interest in God, no interest in the church to reach those people. So why in the world would we do that? Because God loves them. God loves them. They're his lost children. He doesn't want them to live one more day without knowing that they're loved by God. As one of the things that I try to do in, in, in building relationships with the community, I, I joined the Chamber of Commerce and the first night uh, that I, was, I went to a networking night there, they gave me the microphone, which I didn't know they were going to do. They gave me the mic, and they said, well, tell everybody about this new church. I was like, okay. So I got up, and I said, you know what? I'm starting a church for people who aren't interested in church. So if you're a part of a church, great. Stay there. Be at that church. Uh, if you're not, you have no interest, I'd love to get to know you. Why are we doing this? Because God loves you. He absolutely loves you. He loves your neighbors. He wants you to know that, and I'm looking forward to getting to know you. I handed the mic back and walked away and, and met people that night that had lots of questions. They wanted to know about this God. We've got people who are interested in, in coming and being part of what's happening in October. People that are going to come next month when we do some park events that I met that night. People that were meeting in, in, in Starbucks, that, you know, I, I, that's where I set up my office, and, and, and talking with people and getting into conversations. God loves them, and he wants them to know that. See, God loves the person who wants nothing to do with him. God loves the person who's looking to everything else under the sun except for him. For identity. God loves the person who thinks they have it all together. 
or pretends to at least. God loves the person that looks to money for the answer to everything. There are a lot of affluent people that live in Gig Harbor. There are a lot of people that go, I don't need that crutch. I can buy whatever I want. He loves the person who's addicted. He loves the person who is, 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 is enslaved to, to looking to, to other things to define them. He loves the person who's exploiting others because truly inside they're broken and they're afraid. He loves the people who are being exploited. God loves the person who hates the church, who opposes the church, who wants nothing to do with him. And Jesus came to die on a cross to take away the offense of their sins, their selfishness, just like he did for my sins and my selfishness, to make a way to have this restored relationship. Now, Christians, it's easy for us sometimes like Matt was saying, to look at the things that are happening in our, in our nation, in our world, and to start to, to feel discouraged, to feel defeated, to feel afraid. But you and I, we live at a time of great opportunity. The days of, of, of the cultural Christianity are going away. It's going to cost something to follow Jesus. And the light, the light shines the brightest when it's darkest out. People will see a difference in the way that we live as followers of Jesus as we're loving God in every part of our life and we're loving our neighbors, not so we can get something from them, but because they matter to God. Because God created them in his image and Jesus paid for them with his blood. They're going to see a difference in the way that we live. And we're going to be able to share that difference, that hope. One of Jesus' followers, Peter, he's riding in a church that's feeling discouraged, that's going through persecution, that's, that's going, why hasn't Jesus come back? Why hasn't he saved us from all this horrible stuff that's happening around us? And he wrote these words in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you. Who's he writing that to? He's writing it to the church. Who's God being patient with? Us, his followers. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance to have a changed, changed mind. He's patient with us as church. He wants us to get in the game, to, to, to live out this mission that he's called us to. He's freed us from sin and selfishness so that we can love others and we can pursue his lost children. God doesn't want anyone to live or to die without him. Church, we're not supposed to be cowering in the corner, closing our eyes and folding our hands and going, come back, Jesus, save us from all this, this, this wretchedness around us. Church, we're not supposed to be looking to human institutions, ideologies, or rules for hope. The hope of the world's not found in, in a political office. It's not found in a written law, and it's not found in a courtroom. Our hope is not in our bank accounts. It's not in our possessions. It's not in our social status. The hope of the world is found in one place, in the person and the message of Jesus Christ. That's why no matter what happens in our life, no matter what happens with our bank, with our jobs, with, with anything, we can get up every day and live with hope. We can keep pressing forward. We can keep loving God. We can keep loving other people because it's not dependent on anything that's temporary. It's all because of Jesus. You and I, we carry this good news around. The good news that God loves you, even though you're selfish, even though you struggle with sin, even though that you, you maybe once defined yourself by something that wasn't 
God, even though our selfishness and our sin still breaks relationships and causes us to drift from God, God loves us anyway. And God loves you so much that Jesus came to die for the offense of your sin and my sin and to set us free so that we could truly live in relationship with him and with others. He did that for you. He did that for me. He did that for anyone. Regardless of the sin that we struggle with, regardless of how we might define ourselves, regardless of what our reputation is, that's good news. And church, we've been entrusted with this good news, not just to, to, to have it and believe in it for ourselves, but to share it with everyone we come in contact with. The first century uh, church missionary and, and church planter, Paul, he wrote this to his friends in the church in Corinth. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. He said, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his, his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, made Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, church, we are his ambassadors. We are representing him in our daily lives, wherever we go, to whoever we come in contact with. We are his messengers of hope. After asking the church in Colos to to, to pray for, for him to be effective in sharing the message of Jesus, Paul wrote this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Be wise in the ways in the way you act towards outsiders. So be, be wise in the way that you act towards people who have a different worldview than you, who have a different belief system than you, who live a different kind of lifestyle than you. Be wise in the way that you act toward them. Make the most of every opportunity. He's, he's telling them, make sure that you're loving in your interactions, in your words, in your attitudes. Let your conversation always be full of grace. What's grace? Grace is undeserved favor, right? We've received that from God. We don't deserve God's grace. He's poured that out on us. We need to be pouring that out on other people. We need to treat them better than what they deserve by their actions, by their attitudes, by their words. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. See, answer implies that somebody is going to be asking us a question, asking us why we're being gracious towards them. Why? We're showing love to them. Peter, in, in, in his first letter, the church that's experiencing lots of persecution, they're afraid of, of, of what's happening. He writes these words in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Remember, in everything, Jesus is the one that's in charge. He's the one that we're following. We're living following him, his example. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Again, there's they're asking a question uh, for the reason, for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. See, we're supposed to be ready to share with people and we're supposed to do it with gentleness and respect. And there are going to be people, even though we're loving even though we're, we're, we're caring, they're going to say bad things about us. But you know what? Other people are going to see, and they're going to, why are you treating them that way? They're loving you. They're caring about you. They're, they're looking out for you. And they'll be ashamed of the things that they say about us. In high school, um, Matt and I had a friend named Gary. 
Gary was Mormon. He was in my, my U.S. history class. And after I became a follower of Jesus, I was so excited about this God who loved me. I wanted everybody to know about him. I'd bring my Bible with me to school. I'd spend some time during lunch reading it. We did some Bible study stuff outside at times. And I would talk to people, anybody who would listen about Jesus. And this guy, Gary, he and I, he and I would get into these conversations, and, and, and I'd say, you know what? I don't believe in the Book of Mormon, but you say you believe in the Bible, so let's, let's discuss what's in the Bible. And so we, we'd reason these things out, and we'd talk about it. And one day I shared with him Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, that talks about, you know, even if an angel, because, you know, everything that they say came from this, this angel in the Book, book of Mormon, so um, even if an angel, you know, preached to you another gospel, you're not supposed to listen to it. So I'm, I'm talking to him about this verse, and, and I said, how do you, how do you explain this? He's like, I don't know. I go, well, go ask your bishop. And I'm all proud because I stumped this Mormon. And so the, uh, Gary goes and, and he asks his bishop. And the next day, um, we're leaving class and Gary didn't wait for me. He kept walking. I'm like, Gary, Gary, wait up, man. What'd, you, what'd your bishop say? He's ignoring me. And I'm like, Gary, what's going on? I'm totally hounding this guy. Gary, Gary, why are you walking away? And he turned around and he goes, my bishop told me not to talk to you anymore. And so I'm a little proud. I'm like, oh, all right, I stumped somebody. And so I'm all excited about this. And I'm like, Gary, and I'm berating him in front of everybody. You, God gave you a brain for a reason. You got to use your brain. And I'm totally going off on this guy. You know what? I was wrong. I might have been right in my beliefs, but I was wrong in my actions. There was no gentleness there. There was no respect there. I was more concerned about being right than loving him. And Jesus didn't command us to be right. He commanded us to love God in every part of our life and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And oftentimes, church, we get it wrong. We're more concerned about being right, about winning the argument, about proving the other person wrong than we are about loving them. I tell you that story about Gary because to this day, it still haunts me. I missed an opportunity to show love because I was more concerned about being right God loves Gary. God loves all the Garys that are out there. that are looking to other things. God wants them to know his love and experience his grace. So what do you need to do today? Well, if you're not living following Jesus, if you're somebody who's here today and you've been looking towards all sorts of other things to define yourself and, and find identity, let me save you some heartache. You're just going to come up empty every time. I tried looking towards all sorts of other things. I tried running from God at one point in my life. The only thing that's going to bring you healing and contentment and, and, and a whole restored life is life with God because you were created to live in relationship with him. And Jesus went to the cross to take away your sin, your shame, your addictions to make that kind of life possible. So today, if, if you're living that way, then what you need to do is you need to believe and trust him. And receive him as the leader of your life, the forgiver of your sins. If you are a follower of Jesus, church, what you need to do is be serious about this mission that we've been invited into. Jesus didn't save us so we could sit around and wait for him to come back. He saved us to put us to work. Seeking out God's lost children. One of the things that you might, you might do is, is, is help support this new church we're starting. Please pray for us. Please pray that God would continue to open doors for us to build relationships with people who are far from him. I'm amazed at what God is doing. Uh, he, he shows up way before I ever walk into a conversation. 
God has opened so many doors to have great conversations and build so many relationships. We need people to be praying that, that it wouldn't just be me, but it would be my whole launch team that are building these, these great relationships with our new neighbors. If God's blessed you in the way that you could, you could bless us, then you could pray about giving to help support us. You could go to the CEA.org. Uh, CEA is the Christian Evangelistic Association. They're our parent uh, organization that oversees us. Uh, you can make a check out. There's information on the, on the, the cards there. Uh, you can make a check out to the CEA and write James Floyd or Gig Harbor in the memo line and send it off. Uh, you can email me and I can put you on the, the update list. Um, it's real easy. Our, our church address is just intrepid.church. Super easy to remember. Intrepid.church. Email me. I'll put you on our update list. Another thing that all of us need to be doing is we need to be loving our neighbors. Literally loving those who live near us, loving those who we come near. Love them by getting to know them. If you don't know their name, that's a great way to start loving somebody is getting to know their name. Spend some time listening to them. It's not about what we say, but it's about building this relationship. Ask them questions about their life, about their hopes, about their dreams, about their fears. Spend time talking to God on their behalf. Because honestly, it's not going to be anything that we say that wins them over. It's going to be the love that they experience from God. So talk with God. Ask God to give you the right words and the right actions and attitudes and timing. And, and, and spend some time uh, loving them, looking for ways to, to show love to them by serving them. Start small. Serve them in a way that, that, that doesn't set yourself up to be the hero of the story. Serve them in a way that, that preserves their dignity and builds your relationship. And when the time is right, share your story with them. How Jesus has changed your life. How Jesus has given you meaning and purpose and has set you free and is setting you free. And invite them here. I think it's so great that this building is two years old and you guys are already outgrowing it. I mean, there's, there's not room in here, Matt. Like, you need, you need bigger space. And it's great that, that you're able to do that. But God wants to do even more than that. There are lots of, lots of people who don't know him that live around you. There are lots of people who are going through the motions, just doing religious stuff that really don't know Jesus. So make sure that you're sharing with them. One of the things I really love about um, my friendship with Matt and respect about him is I was not a project for Matt. I was an Italian mark. When I started going to church, once, once I was baptized, it wasn't like, peace, I'm on to the next person. No, he was my friend. He continued to be my friend. Love people. Be friends with people. People aren't targets. They're not projects. They're loved by God. They're children of God. Treat them that way. Imagine with me for a second what would happen if everybody in this room, just the people in this room, decided that today, that's how we were going to live. We are going to go out of here and we were going to look for ways to love God in every part of our life. We were going to look for ways to love our neighbors, to desire and pursue the very best for our neighbors, even at our expense. No strings attached. Imagine with me what would happen if we, if we went, you know what? I'm going to look for ways to really practice what Jesus commanded us to do, that as we were going for, through life, look for ways to introduce people to him and to teach people how to follow all the things that he's taught us. Imagine what would happen. Washington, Indiana, the surrounding cities would be transformed by God's love. Church, we've got the good news. Jesus is the hope of the world. He died for every single person because God absolutely loves them.